Hi, my name is Agile, and I support Gen X Grown Up through Patreon, and I believe you should too. Just go to patreon.com slash genxgrownup. Gen X Grown Up is a YouTube channel website and audio podcast you're listening to right now. All made for and by people who love exploring media, games, tech, and toys of yesterday and today through the eyes of Gen Xers who refuse to grow up. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a grown up. Welcome back, Gen X Grown Up podcast listeners, to this backtrack edition of the Gen X Grown Up podcast. I'm John. Joining me as always is Mo. Hey, everybody. And you know that George is here with us. Hey, how's it going, guys? You know, John Hughes was behind some of the most successful and beloved films of the 80s and 90s. Too many, in fact, to be contained in a single show. So in this episode, we're looking back at four John Hughes films that all take place during a road trip. And there are some good ones. There, well, <laughs> there's some good ones. And some not so good ones. <laughs> First, though, we have some great business to take care of. First of all, we have another new Apple podcast review that I wanted to share with you. This is uh, from Miss So, a, a friend, hey, supporter of hey, Discord. So. She uh, helps us out a lot. Great contributor to the community over there. Yeah, yeah. Miss So dropped us a five-star review, and her Ooh. review reads, Best Gen X podcast out there, period. Wow. And lots of topics and humor covering the stuff we grew up with. Wow. That's a mic drop one, you know? I know. That is it's concise. <laughs> Nice to the point. I, that should just be a bumper sticker. I love it. Thank you, Miss So. <laughs> a bumper sticker. There's not much more Gen X than a damn bumper sticker, is there? That's a well, good that, point. That review, there's no fluff. It's straight to the, look at that. Out there, period. Mic drop. I love it. That's yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, you, uh, if you're listening and you haven't dropped us a review anywhere, Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, wherever you listen, uh, it really helps a lot. And one other item, we do have a fourth listener email this episode. Okay. Uh, longtime supporter listener Stu Monkey wrote oh, okay. in hey, Stu Monkey. in reference to the uh, 80s sitcom theme backtrack that was just oh, a few weeks okay. back. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So Stu Monkey says, I thought surely your number one was going to be The Wonder Years. Huh? What? What? Yeah. Why? Well, I think he thinks The Wonder Years is a sitcom, which I would disagree with, first oh, no, of all. Yeah, because... <laughs> I mean, it's a great song. Yeah, it's the Joe Cocker song, right? A little help for my Cocker. friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. Amazing song. No no yep, doubt. But yep. not a sitcom at Not all. a sitcom, Stu Monkey. No. Right. So he, now he goes on to say, a few more iconic honorable mentions you missed, in my opinion. Uh, Wonder Years, which he you said. talked about, yeah. yeah. Silver Spoons. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, all right. Uh, Three's Company. 70s, 70s show. 70s. Came out of the 70s. 70s, right? 70s yeah. 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 Webster uh, is not a great theme, actually. No. No, no, I'm not agreeing with that. <laughs> yeah. Married with Children, that was almost uh, on my list of possibles. Yeah, it was close. Yeah. It was on the edge, right? It was a bubble. Yeah. It was another original, not original song. It was, right. you know, Love and Marriage, whatever yeah, that song is, right. right? Yeah. Yeah, I, th I actually put points on that one, I think. Yeah. Facts of Life, again, 70s, I think. That yeah, started like 79, started 70s, right? 78, yeah. 79? Yeah. Yep. Uh, Charles in Charge? Nope. No. <laughs> no, nope. I don't no. think so. No. Actively, no. <laughs> uh, Saved by the Bell. Eh. Was that 80s? Was that 80s? I feel like Saved, Saved by the Bell might have been 90s. Might have been 90s. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Doogie Howser, MD, not a sitcom. No, not Definitely a sitcom. not a sitcom. Drag that one out. No, like uh, people dying on operating tables in that damn yeah. show. And Head of the Class, another possible that he said. Uh, I mean, yeah, I maybe. love the show Head of the Class, but again, we were talking about the theme songs, not the shows. Yep. If you say best 80 sitcoms, I'm going to put Head of the Class on the list because I loved it that much. Right, but we're talking about the, the music. Yeah, yeah, good point. Good point. Yeah, yeah. he's like, Stu Monkey, you've absolutely given us grief in your recent emails. I think you <laughs> You want to pay attention to the rules, my friend. 
because we said it had to start airing in the 80s, had to be a sitcom, and plus, not for nothing, had to be a good song. So no, you can't have all those. <laughs> well, I mean, he can have them on his own list. And <laughs> well, yeah, you know, maybe he wants to do a like a special podcast and ask us to put it out on our feed or something. That would be fun. In his crazy rule breaking list. Yeah. Sure, <laughs> <laughs> See? I knew George would be a bad influence on our listeners. What? <laughs> wow. What? A bad what influence did he do? On the oh, what? I'm going to do two to do for one here. Or, or oh, these are you do kind of double dip. You're always cheating. That's true. Okay. <laughs> but I'm not cheating and breaking rules that I set up. That's true. No, no. You break other people's rules. You're absolutely right. <laughs> I break rules that are not actually written. I break dumb rules. That's what I do. That's right. <laughs> He does make a fantastic point at the end of his email. He said, you yes. could certainly do a part two of this. Oh, yeah. And you are not wrong. We realized, I think we even mentioned yeah. that in putting this one together, it's like there's so many songs that were from shows of the 70s that we hated not putting on the list because they're such good songs that right. it almost demands a part two or part three or I don't know. Yeah. yeah. yeah there's I mean, more Even to come, if you I did think. 80 sitcoms part two, there's plenty of fodder to throw in the there's list. More. Oh, there yeah. are more. You know, I mean, we can talk about yeah. how we can't use ones we've already had on the list. Yeah. Yeah, that would make it even tougher. Yeah, it would. Yeah. So he wraps it up with uh, one of our favorite salutations. May the fourth listener be with you. Stu Monkey. Thank you for writing in, Stu Monkey. Yeah. Uh, we appreciate you allowing us to poke some fun at you. It's only fair. <laughs> Turnabout's fair play, my man. <laughs> yeah. If you would like your email featured here on the show, it's drop dead simple. Just send an email to podcast at genxgrownup.com. We read every single one, and most of them like Stu Monkeys. Make the show. Okay. With that good business behind us, it's time to jump into these road trip John Hughes films right after the break. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts. Good evening, folks, and a hearty welcome to our drive-in theater. We have a wonderful evening's entertainment lined up for you, one that will provide several hours of pleasurable relaxation and diversion for you and your family. Did you fail to dress up for tonight's show? No tie, an old shirt and slacks, a house dress? Well, don't give it a thought. We're glad you came as you are. We just want you to enjoy yourselves. When you're doing a podcast episode talking about John Hughes, it's it, it, we realized pretty quickly. Initially, what did we say? We're going to talk about John, John Hughes, Hughes films. Right, yeah. That's going to be great. <laughs> that was yeah. what was on the list when we weren't thinking. It was yeah, just right, John Hughes absolutely. films was a line on our spreadsheet. Like, that'll be easy. And it's actually, it's so easy that it's difficult to narrow it down because you start looking, you're like, well, you have to include this one. You have to include this one. Right. You have to include this one. There's so many. I mean, I didn't realize, you guys probably know more about film history than I do even. And I didn't realize just how many films that we love from that era. Now, he's obviously best known probably for like the coming of age, Molly Ringwald, you know, high school mm -hmm. angst films, right? And there are plenty of those, but we had this list that you generated and we started going through this and man, did it start becoming complex to figure out what to highlight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine if there's not already one out there, it would be very easy to do an entire podcast of multiple seasons just on John Hughes and John 
John Hughes films. Just dedicated to him yeah, alone. It would oh, not yeah. be difficult at all. I mean, when Mo, when you put all those different films that he was associated with in the card. Oh, yeah. Man, I mean, it was just ridiculous. Like, I was like, crap. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. Oh, that, it was like, <sighs> I don't know, 50 films you had in that list it or something like list. that. It was a long yeah. list. And it, it took us a little while when we were planning the episode how to put it together. Yeah. And I think, I think we came up with a good strategy of, you know, grouping like characteristics of films because right. he like did seem to do it. that yeah. right he mm-hmm. he seemed to have one like you said john the teenage angst films or this is the mm-hmm. road trip edition you know he seemed to have a group of films around similar topics. Yeah, for sure. If we wanted to talk about just John Hughes films, I mean, it'd be an eight-hour podcast. That's right. Yeah. If, you, if you want to do it justice, you want to cover all yeah. of it, right? So as you said, we looked at these and we started realizing, well, what if we just did those kind of teen angst kind of you know, Breakfast Club and 16 Candles films? And we're like, everybody's done that to death. There's these other films. There are other groups we started getting to. And finally, we came down to this nice little group of road trip films mm-hmm. This where somebody's going somewhere with some purpose and the story revolves around what happens to them on the way, how the relationships modify and change right. over the course of that story. Yeah. It's a trope that starts with one of the films that we're going to talk about last in the podcast for him. <laughs> yep, um, yep. And it's the one that everybody's thinking of, so it's not going to be a big surprise, but <laughs> there were others that John Hughes was associated with in one way or another, either as a writer or a director or some, some other form. And mm-hmm. you don't realize that they're his work. And yet once you start with that premise, you recognize immediately, Oh, this is exactly what John Hughes the pieces is. Start does to fall into this. place. You go, Oh right, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, before we get into talking about the films themselves, we should just take a second to talk a bit about the man and his history. We're talking about John Wilden Hughes Jr., who was born February 18th, 1950. He started his career working as an author for National Lampoon, a writer mm, yeah. for you know the great comedy magazine, and which later made nice transition to some of the films that he was involved mm-hmm. in, which made a lot of sense. Transitioning out of his work at National Lampoon, the guy was so prolific. He went on to write, produce, and sometimes direct, as you were saying, Mo, many of the most successful successful live action comedy films of our era growing up as a generation Xer. Oh, so, yeah. And we lost him prematurely. But 2009, he passed away from a heart attack. Yeah, that was sudden too. Only Yeah, he was only 59 years old. You know, I was looking on the Wikipedia page for him and there's a list of projects he had in the works or that didn't quite get produced. Mm-hmm. And it's sad to look at because you can look at the title and a one sentence description and you're like, I can imagine what that John Hughes film would be like. I want to watch it right now, but it never happened. Ugh. You know, he was taken from us a little too soon. Yeah, I mean, you think about the movies that he did that really spoke to our generation. Of course, most of those are going to be those teenage angst films. <laughs> right. you know, the, yeah. The Breakfast Club and Sixteen Candles and right. those mm-hmm. kinds of movies. I oh, mean, man. Right. Oh, God. They told a piece of Americana about some of the, not everybody in America, but a large amount of people in America could identify with those films. And that's why they were so popular in the theaters, because you could go and watch it with your friends and there was something to find and laugh at. Mm-hmm. Now, if you were a guy, you didn't want to do this, but a lot of <laughs> girls would go to these films and you know oh or yeah, he's admitted all the kind of fawning and crying and everything else but yeah i i love those films and mm-hmm. john hughes is a huge part of why i became such a movie buff yeah he really created films that spoke to a broad audience i mean look at the breakfast club is like he had these different stratifications of culture in that one movie to try to speak to all these you know the jock and the nerd mm-hmm. and whatever and his his films don't speak to the elite. They don't speak to the run of the mill blue collar. They 
they speak to everyone because they don't, he doesn't pigeonhole his characters. He just lets them be either a kind of a family story or coming of age story and that kind of thing that everyone goes through in one way or the other. He has so many wins. You know, I realized that we read that he dropped out of the University of Arizona yeah. and went on to sell jokes to Rodney Dangerfield and Joan Rivers. I'm sure that's how he transitioned into National Lampoon. Oh, I'm sure. As great as he was, his first screenplay was National Lampoon's Class Reunion. Oh, Stinker. That was his first one? <laughs> Yeah, yeah wow. very first one. garbage. And you would think after that, how did he stay in the business? But I'm <laughs> right. so glad that he did because out of that work came some amazing, amazing films. Hey, not everyone could do like a Shyamalan, hit it out of the park the first time. And then suck afterwards? Right. <laughs> he did it the other way around. He did the old reverse Shyamalan, didn't he? He started right. bad and really it knocked better. it out of the park it got better, afterwards. Right? He did. <laughs> so with that, we have selected four John Hughes films, all occurring around a road trip. We have picked them, we have prepared for them, and we're going to jump into those right after the break. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased, and essential world news daily. We hope you'll make this a weekly visit. Bring the family. Bring your friends. There are always wonderful new pictures to see, delightful snacks to nibble, a gay, pleasant evening for all. Oh, a word of caution. Don't drive over 10 miles an hour in the theater area for your safety's sake. And mom or pop, go with the kids when they leave the car. We hope you have a wonderful time. Come back soon. In 1991, John Hughes created a road trip film. Now, this was not his first road trip film. We're going to talk about that mm-hmm. a little bit later nope, on. Nope. But in 1991, he created a road trip film that starred Ed O'Neill and credited at the time as Ethan Randall, who later changed his name to Ethan Embry, mm-hmm. a film called Dutch. Oh, yeah. I <laughs> loved this movie when it mm-hmm. first came out. I saw it in the theater. I remember it, and I've watched it many times since then. It is the antithesis of a buddy traveling film because they mm-hmm. are not buddies at all. That's right. Yep. (laughs) They heard the direct opposite. It's almost like one of those films like where the two prisoners escape and they're chained together, but they really don't like each other anyway. Mm -hmm. And but they're stuck together. That's kind of what this film is. There are so many classic scenes in this film, and I never associated it with John Hughes until we really started doing the research for this. <laughs> and then it makes sense. It doesn't feel like the 16 Candles or no, The Breakfast all. Club. Right. But it does yep. once you realize who is involved with it. Once you realize that John Hughes is a part of this, then you start to see the connections with Dutch and 16 Candles or Breakfast Club. You start to see all the different components kind of come together. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that for me marks a good John Hughes films is that his characters are almost like archetypes like they're they're almost like stereotypical except they dig deeper except they Mm -hmm. actually they dig into them and they're not so you're saying like the rich guy the spoiled kid things like that yeah right 
Right. right, but there's more layers but to that archetype. Layers. When, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, so, the surface when you first watch it, he's like blue collar worker, you know, kind of right. advancing yeah. life, right? And they get rich, spoiled kid. But is he right? <laughs> And then, but then they start get, getting into there. As the movie progresses, you realize that that's not just who they are. There, there's a lot more to them than that. And that's what yep. makes John Hughes's films so endearing to me, because that's the way it is in real life. When you meet somebody for the first time, you get mm-hmm. that initial feeling about them, right? That right. first impression. That's what John mm-hmm. Hughes' characters. What you're talking about, Mo, on that surface layer, their first impression is the rich guy, the spoiled kid, the whatever. But then, as you get to know the characters throughout his stories, he does such a wonderful job of character development. Maybe better than almost anybody during his time frame of creation. I think that that character development is what makes you care so much about these characters in these films that they live on even after he's already gone. Yeah, I, I don't think that's a stretch at all. You know, full disclosure, I had never seen Dutch until we started preparing for this. So mm. this was this was a John Hughes <laughs> film that I had missed. I wasn't aware of its existence. When I went to watch it, I'm like, I think I've seen the cover, but that's it. Like maybe right. I saw it in the blockbuster. <laughs> that's it. I don't know why. I mean, I like Ed O'Neill just fine. I didn't know who the kid was. So I just watched this the other day and I am so upset that I never saw this film before. I could have right? seen this several times times by now. I didn't know what I was in for. It was a totally blank slate. I will say that I made a note 11 minutes in, I was ready to whip that kid's ass. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think one of my favorite scenes of that is, you know, he meets that kid in his dorm room and he finally is taking him out and he's got him handcuffed to the hockey stick and he's carrying him out the door and he's like, what do you like to do? And the kid's like, he's like, oh, you like to wiggle and grunt a lot. Me too. Well, if you're like me and never saw it, or you haven't seen it in a while, really briefly, the premise is just there is a young man who is super spoiled at a boarding school, and Dutch, being the boyfriend of the boy's mother, agrees to go and pick him up and bring him home for Thanksgiving after some other plans fall through. And I thought when I first watched it that it was, and and I think you're expected to think, oh, Dutch is thinking he's going to go and befriend this boy, Mm -hmm. and he's going to get in good with the girlfriend's son, and that's going to really help Mm -hmm. things out. And that's what I thought. But he had so many other like layers of character, layers to his plan. His real plan was to bring the son and and mother back together, bring them closer by driving himself as a wedge between them and making him realize how much he cared for his mother. It was so much deeper than just a road trip with shenanigans, but it had that too. And that's another John Hughes hallmark. We have the slapstick. We have the, the, the funny kind of gags and sight stuff, but we also have that character development that is so well handled and done on so many layers. Yeah, there's so much of that heart in this film, but at the same time, there is stuff that absolutely should not be in a film about a young adolescent male, right? In today's society, I don't know (laughs) how some of this stuff would get past the censors or whatnot. For instance, the whole thing with nudie cards, right? When he goes to the fireworks (laughs) store and he buys all these giant bags of fireworks, but he also buys nudie cards and he's he's not even related to this kid. He's not his caregiver or anything like that. He's just this random guy. And he's showing this like 12 or 13 year old boy, however old he is, these nudie cards, like immediately child protective services would have been called, (laughs) I would think, but no. And then the kid has this little pellet pistol that he shoots Ed O'Neill with at the beginning. Ed O'Neill pockets it and just the whole movie, he's threatening to shoot him with like, you sure you don't want to get it over with now? I'll shoot you in the ass and we'll be done with it. I owe you one. I owe you one. I'm going to shoot you. (laughs) At one point he says, if you'll go call your mom, I won't shoot you. Right. Yeah. And he's like, no, I don't want to do that. He's like, all right. And throughout the film, they periodically go, are you still going to shoot me? 
Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. It's, oh, it's yeah. still it's coming. coming. <laughs> I think uh, one thing that's evident with a lot of John Hughes films, and we're going to get into even more of this as we go, are the different people you spot that became very popular or iconic later for different roles. And one person that mm-hmm. I spotted right away, the boy's father, who is a real jerk in this film, mm. that's Shooter McGavern from yeah. Oh, yeah. Happy Gilmore. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's in a million things. And he plays that role perfectly in this film. <laughs> he like if he started doing the bang, bang gun fingers in this movie, it would not have surprised me one yeah. bit. It would have fit right with his character. The smarmy little mustache is what really sells it on him. Like it's a little too small and a little too far up of his lip. He just looks like an asshole. And he is like the Howard Hughes pencil thin thing. Yeah. And he's basically throwing his money around to win his son's love and driving a wedge between him and the mother. And he he gets what he deserves. And at the end, there's this payoff where Ed O'Neill's character Dutch goes out and he's basically telling the mom to move out of this house. He's putting them in and pops him in the head with this big ring on his pinky and dazes him. He goes, how long do they move out? Uh, A week? It might take six months. That's fine. (laughs) Okay, yes, sir. (laughs) The the subtlety with which Ed O'Neill's character, he's getting stuff done. He's, He's not a bully. He's not, I guess maybe he is in that last scene, but he, he doesn't come across as a bully. He comes across as someone who's doing what he can with the, the means that he has to secure the people in his life that he loves. And he, he's not trying to take the boy away from the father. He's like, I'm that boy's friend. I'll never be his father. You're his father. Get your shit together. Right. Yeah. And it's, yeah, he's not trying to step in and, and intervene. He's trying to make things better for the people he cares about. That's that character. If you think about it, he's a blue collar worker whose parents worked hard. And then he built up this giant construction empire. Right. That you very successful. Yeah. yeah. Very successful. You don't notice it until like he's driving by they just Dooley to construction yeah. site and it's barely on frame for maybe a second and a half. And like, you're like, this guy has got means. He is yeah. not a schlub. But then at right. the same time, he doesn't just like, there are people who help them along their way. Like there's mm-hmm. the family in the homeless shelter that helped finish their drive to the house yes wonderful he doesn't just give that family like a hundred thousand dollars for it or anything if you listen to what he says in it's that quick. scene, yep. he says, call the office on Monday and I'll see what I can do for you. So he's not into charity handouts. He's into helping people help themselves. And that's what right. he does with the kid. That's what he does with the mother. And I think that every one of those little subtle actions that his character does throughout the entire journey that they have mm-hmm. is awesome. The whole thing when the kid jumps in the car at the hotel after being stranded and having to walk to the hotel and mm-hmm. backs the car out on the road and the truck driver slams into it and ed o'neill is he freaks he gets onto the kid in a way saying like that guy was on his way home you need to think about other people right that sets up how he gets the kid to realize the shitty way he's treating his mother Mm -hmm. what do you mean does she did she say i hate her yeah and he just lets lets that simmer with him yeah Yeah. and that's evident not just in like the girlfriend and the son but everybody they encounter like he's looking out for people which is and even even the the truck driver who hit the car right Mm -hmm. he's like look here's the money here's this if that's not enough call me we'll work something out right Right. you know what shocked me the most about this movie is how bad it did like it did off on the box office yep that's too bad tomatoes has this like a really low rating and I don't understand that. I, I really don't get it. It's mm-hmm. like, this is actually a really good 
movie. It's a movie with a lot of heart, has a lot of great messages, a lot of great characters in it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what people are looking for or expecting more that, than this movie. I really would gives. guess that it's yeah. that elitist movie reviewer kind of feel. I mean, you have <laughs> that a lot where if something's popular, not that this was, but if something is like a pop music, as an example, people hate pop music because it's pop. Fuck you. If it's a good song, it's a good, it's song. A good song. And that's the same way with a lot of films. If it's not our tour or it's not, you know, nihilist or it's not this or it's not that, then it can't be a good film. Fuck off. If yeah. there's anything in this film that I love more than it was the hooker ride. And I don't give a shit <laughs> if that's not like couth or upper class or refined or whatever. But the fact that they get picked up by hookers, Shawnee Smith, mm-hmm. and I forget the other girl's name, but she was in a ton of stuff like Valley Girl, and she was in mm-hmm. some of the Rob Zombie films later on. Okay. You see them helping them out, but also stealing from them. And it's just funny to watch Ethan Embry kind of fawning over the one hooker in the backseat while the other <laughs> hooker in the front seat is squirting hand lotion into the guy's mouth trying to steal his pinky <laughs> ring. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to laugh at that kind of keystone cop kind of humor. And I don't understand why it has to be looked down upon or rated lowly because it's not highbrow. Fuck that shit. Mm -hmm. And and the ride with the two call girls was, it it was another one of those parts that I think we'll talk about a few times in the course of, of talking about these John Hughes road trip films that I really like and have noticed looking them together is he doesn't mind taking time to flesh out peripheral characters. Mm. Right. Those two women in that car, they could have been anybody, but he's like, you know what? Let's flesh them out. Let's give them a little bit of a story. Let's have them interact interact with the characters. Let's have them interact with each other, get to know who they are a little bit. The younger girl has a little bit of remorse about taking their money, but they take it anyway. And and it's a chance for the characters to grow, mm-hmm. uh, especially especially the boy, right? He mm-hmm. he has this heart to heart with the other girl and talks she about- She listens to me. <laughs> right. That's what that's her job. She's paid to, but it didn't right. matter. It still helped him. It still yeah. got him to where he needed to be. Yeah. yeah and, they, and they were able to bond over that in a way that he reluctantly bonded with with Dutch over this car ride and he's like I think I got a little horny there and he's like yeah right. good for you boy oh, good job <laughs> yeah. you know and he's gonna shake his hand no 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 you hit it high yeah. five yeah, right. like, yeah give me a yeah, yeah it, it's full of heart that's the biggest part of this movie for me and if you can't get that then I guess that's why you rate it low on Rotten Tomatoes or whatever but if you don't get that this movie is full of heart, I, f- I feel bad for you. You're missing out on a great yeah, film. It's, I it's think just so not for you. I missed out and now I have it. Yeah. Dutch is definitely a good, a good one for us to start with. I think it's indicative of the, the kind of films that we're talking about here with John Hughes, both in his filmmaking and very archetypal of his road trips. Mm-hmm. We have some more coming up right around the corner. So stick around. We'll be right back. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. They've only just met. I'm a friend of your mother's. I came to get you to bring you home. And already, they get along. Like family. I'm not going anywhere with you. Ah, he's not a bad kid. We're getting along just great. Come on, give it to me, pipsqueak. 
Yeah, we're taking our time, we're seeing the country. And as Doyle himself said, nothing beats traveling the highways and byways. I'm so excited that we're getting to talk about this movie because this is one of my favorite of all of his movies. Plus, wow. if you look on the top list of road trip films out there, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is invariably on that list somewhere. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it should be. <laughs> it, is. Yeah. It, it, it damn well better be, or that list can go to hell. Yeah. <laughs> Came out in 1987, starred Steve Martin and John Candy. You almost have to work to make this fail, right? Oh, these two guys together. A classic comedy pairing. Now, this is one that I can say that I did not miss growing up. This is one I have watched many, many times. That's what I was laughing about when you were talking about Missing Dutch. I never watched this film all the way through until preparing for this podcast. Oh, really? Really? <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. What it, It's it's like this treasure that you didn't know was locked up somewhere and you open it. Mm-hmm. So you just watch this all the way through. Before I talk any more about it, I was going to give the, the synopsis. Tell us your impressions first time through. Well, I mean, synopsis is, you know, there's a guy who's trying to get home for his family for Thanksgiving dinner and he keeps <laughs> getting roadblocked instead of cotton blocked I guess is the best way to put it by John Candy at every turn there's all different kinds of stuff and so they end up having to take multiple modes of transportation to try and make this trip from New York to Chicago which should be a simple trip right right yeah instead trunks get in the way and snowstorms and oh just fires and it, it's it was so wonderful and at the same time just like you John, I am so sad that I didn't watch this film all the way through when it came out. And now it'll be something that I'll probably watch two or three times a year going forward. Yeah. Easy to do. Yeah. It's just funny because, you know, Steve Martin's character is kind of uptight. Very uptight. Oh, yeah. Uptight. Straight laced. -laced. And John Candy's like the exact opposite. But John Candy's also very practical, right? He knows he gets things done. He knows how to like more of an active person than passive person. You know, like when the first time he's like, oh, well, you guys were all trying to find other flights. I got a rental car. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yep. He says, and you want to come with me? You know, you're welcome to. And in the way Steve Martin was like dismissive of him at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Like all John Hughes movies, like they had like just the funny, just random slapstick moments. Like when they were both sleeping in the same bed. <laughs> sure. Those aren't pillows. <laughs> Most iconic line. Right. Yeah. Between two pillows. Yeah. Right. Those aren't pillows. We're like, oh, and you see like they, that mutual agreement How that we will bears? never. Oh, yeah. They're yeah. awesome. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Go to this year go to yeah. <laughs> wait i'm not gonna talk about this <laughs> yeah, that is like a pure guy thing right where you just realize something happened you look at each other you both unconsciously agree that we will never speak of this ever again not gonna happen and it yep. just drops it <laughs> you know one thing i wanted to point out having not watched this film you know originally back in the day and watching it now preparing for this podcast to me this and dutch were opposites of each other they're both films where two characters reluctantly travel together for whatever mm-hmm reason Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. in dutch the main point of view was from dutch right right who was trying to become friends with the kid in this Mm -hmm. one the main point of view is steve martin who does not want to become friends with john candy it's like you're taking the kid's point of view they're kind of the opposite of each other and i love watching these two films back to back because i felt like Mm. that allowed me to see different parts of their character dynamics that i wouldn't have seen otherwise and it always makes me wonder how much of this stuff could have been in John Hughes's head when he was writing these stories. Like, well, last time I wrote it this way. Right. Maybe this time I'll put well, the focus over here. 
Well, you can see the John Hughes template for sure on these, right? It's putting these archetypes together, mm-hmm. digging deeper into the archetypes, as you said, mm-hmm. Mo, finding the extra layers. And the other thing I mentioned a second ago in Dutch that I love in planes, trains, and automobiles, and I didn't think about it again until I started thinking in context of Hughes, how he doesn't mind taking time to explore unnecessary characters and give you a just a richer tapestry of what's going on. The first mm. thing I noticed in Planes and Trains was when they took the ride from the airport to the hotel, they could have skipped from the airport right to the hotel. Instead, they had this right. ridiculous taxi ride <laughs> Oh, Doobie's Taxiola. Yep. This crazy thing with <laughs> lights in it and, and music yeah. blaring and the spectrometers on the back deck and unnecessary. And that but actor has gorgeous. been in a- a whole bunch of other movies. Yeah. Was, yeah, you know, yeah. He was somebody to recognize as like the B and C level characters. Mm-hmm. It was obviously a one day job for him. Right. And there was, he could have gotten any cab. You could have done anything and not done it, but they took the time for this. The other one that I love is later when they're waiting to get on the train and, <laughs> and Dell has a friend named Gus. Gus's son is going to come pick us up <laughs> and take us to the train. That oh, They could have stopped God, there yes. and then jumped to the train. Right? Instead, they yeah. have this amazing scene where this weird redneck hillbilly with a <laughs> really? weird and the stare. And, a <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and he shows he up and yells at his lazy wife who apparently <laughs> just gave birth to a sideways child get out of the truck and get this luggage up into the back and they're like no 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 we got it and she's like she didn't even cry when that baby came out sideways like what the fuck <laughs> you're very brave you're very right. brave. <laughs> yeah. but he, he takes the time you could have easily cut those scenes out and not damage the movie right but yeah. taking the time to cast an actor, think up with a background for that actor, make them weird and quirky and odd and let our characters interact with them to show their discomfort in this world. That's a great Hughes tool that I'm seeing in all of these that I love that he does. You don't see today. People, we got to jump to the next thing. Get the, get the star yeah, on the quick, screen. Quick, 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 yeah. quick, right? Yeah. Enjoy the little moments. Yeah. And just to show how good an actor that guy was that played Gus's son, uh-huh. he played a lawyer in Disclosure, the Michael Crichton film. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's the same guy. Sure. Like he goes from complete opposite spectrums. And that's what I think John Hughes does so well. His characters, the actors that he gets to play them, as we've talked about in other oh, roles. Yeah. Great I mean, casting. Oh my God, yep. the casting is perfect. And one thing, especially this movie, probably more than others, gave me that almost like that choked up teary thing at the end. Oh, yeah. Because you sit there, you look at John Candy's character. He's like kind of brash. He's kind of Steve Martin as he's like, realizing the inconsistencies or the slips that he's made mm-hmm. yeah. in dialogue. And all of a sudden he realized, then he goes back to the train station and John mm-hmm. Kennedy looks up at him and says, my wife died. I haven't been home in X number of years. And also don't he, have a home. Yeah. Don't have a home. Right. I don't have yeah, a home. He didn't have one. And also it was like, his character just totally made sense then. Yep. It's the, the long, slow breakdown glances along with yeah. the looking back in the moments of the film. I mean, it, it yanked at your heartstrings so much that when they finally get to Steve Martin's house, and John Candy's with him and he's like I'll stay for a minute <laughs> it's wonderful I'll just say hi and then I'm gone yeah. no you just come on inside just and come on the, the, just come I on I think Del. for me what clinched it was the look between Steve Martin's wife and John oh, Candy oh yes and Del yes. Yeah. just totally at that point you're like well yeah. shit give me the goddamn tissue now <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it makes the character make so much sense he's this boisterous outgoing gregarious guy who's focused on helping this other guy because he doesn't have anything else he's latched right. on to this guy and saying oh, I inconvenienced you by taking your cab. Mm-hmm. And now um, it's my personal mission to help you out for no right. good reason. It's because he has no one to care about. And he's, he's he cares about this guy who frankly wants nothing to do with him. And this first. film can't play today, right? Because there are too many 
new too many easy ways to fix yeah, the problem. Yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, there's the Uber now, and there's yeah. cell phones. Like when he gets left at the airport, and the rental car is not there. Of course, you know, there's yeah, yeah, so yeah. many things that don't work to now, but it doesn't matter because if you live through that era at all, you can completely associate yep, with having it? to yes. stand in a line trying to get to a phone bank. Right. Right. Trying right. to make a hotel <laughs> reservation. <laughs> just two scenes that just particularly stick out in my head for some reason. One is like you brought up at the end when he's talking to Steve Martin's wife, and mm-hmm. they focus on his yep. hands holding his hat. Yeah. And show that he's like uncomfortable, yeah. like for the first mm-hmm. time in this movie, he's yeah. uncomfortable. And the second part, which I don't know why this see, it's a scene that just cracks me up when they're in the car and you know, the giant trunk that they've been carrying everywhere. Right. Yeah. Sure. They stop. The trunk goes flying off in the air. They both walk over to it. They're sitting down talking. And meanwhile, the car is on fire behind it. Yeah. <laughs> and they're sitting there talking. And also they, they look back, they see the cars on fire. They just look forward again. They look back, cars on fire. And it's almost like they're like, of course the car is on fire. <laughs> yeah. Right. We're not even surprised anymore right. if these right. things like, happen right. the car's on fire it, uh, why yeah. wouldn't it be yeah and steve <laughs> yeah. martin's so sure that john candy has screwed himself this time right <laughs> yeah. it's you this time you did it to you you, you nope. messed your own self up it's like well, so i had your credit card in my wallet what <laughs> and mo you you mentioned that scene where how uncomfortable dell is at the end john candy's character mm-hmm. and i think that's because for the first time in years somebody cares about him again yeah mm. and that's new for him it, it's fresh he brought himself into someone else's heart, into someone else's family, just by his own good good deeds. And he doesn't know how to act. That's He hasn't had You're that right. in so long. And I yeah. think that's the magical part of that. Yeah, it's like he's reintegrating having a new family. Right. Uh, yeah, you feel like that's what's about to happen. It stops there. And you can imagine they are the best of friends going forward. That's right. how you feel at that point. I have point. no doubt that that character did not move into Steve Martin character's house and become the uncle of the family at that point. <laughs> right. Like that's the predecessor right. to Uncle Buck or something. Uncle Buck. Like, yeah. Yep. And they moved right into that. Yep. You know, and being being a film from this era, another cool thing that I've noticed, and you you called it out back in Dutch, George, is a lot of these character actors who either you saw a whole lot later, or maybe they were nobodies at the time. At the beginning of Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Kevin Bacon yep. is yeah. the guy who's racing him for the taxi. Never awesome says a scene. word in the whole movie. No, yep. not, no not and that's it. He's never one. back. He's just a throwaway guy, and it was the beginning of his career. Uh, ben Stein as the airline <laughs> yeah. gate agent. Who better to be? Right. Oh, sorry to tell you the plane has been canceled right he's being Ben Stein well did this movie come out after Ferris Bueller or before Uh, what is this 87 okay so if this yeah. came out after, then you got to figure John Hughes was like, hey, we need yeah. a deadpan guy. We used him in Ferris Bueller. Oh, Let's bring Ben, ben. Stein just over. Just get Ben yeah. in here. Just, we just need him for one here. day. Get him. Yep. His game show yep. hasn't started yet. Let's bring him in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the third big one that jumped out to me was Michael McKean as the oh, state yeah. trooper that pulls yeah. him over. He actually got a really big credit in the credit scenes afterwards. And I'm like, how the hell? He's in there for like 30 seconds. How does yeah. he get that <laughs> yeah. big a credit? I guess, you know, he just beloved but yeah. he was awesome. It reminds me of like going back to watch old seasons of Twilight Zone. You're like, I know that guy. I know mm-hmm. that guy. Yeah. I know yeah, when yeah. they were just bit actors trying to get work and now they're the big deals. Seeing these older films with those guys in there is just is great stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. 
Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. During holiday travel, some people get delirious. Some get delayed. And some get Del Griffin. American Light and Fixture, Director of Sales, Shower Curtain Ring Division. Neil Page got all three. I was on my way home to spend a nice holiday with my family. Instead, I'm in a motel bed with a stranger. So instead of Thanksgiving with his family, he's spending three days with the turkey. I talked about it at the very beginning of the episode that there's going to be a road trip film on this list and actually kind of a couple of road trip films that everybody knows has to be on this list when you're talking about John Mm -hmm. Hughes road trip films. And that is 1983's National Lampoon Vacation. Holiday road. Now, I know he just did the screenplay, but Jesus Christ, you know his fingerprints are all over this movie considering what Mm -hmm. we've talked about. Again, Chevy Chase, Beverly D'Angelo, and you just started singing the song, Mo. Yeah. You hear it, and you're, boom, you're transported. As soon as you say the words National Lampoon Vacation, that song is there. <laughs> it's in your mind. I don't know if I loved a film more than I did for a long period of time than I loved National Lampoon's Vacation. Yeah. And don't forget, Harold Ramis directed this one. Yes. Right? Another oh, yeah. Yeah. great person from that era, right? Oh, yep. yeah. Another Gen X auteur who has his fingerprints all over our childhood. <laughs> yeah, Harold Ramis. Of course. Man. It's a simple premise, right? It's just an average guy with an average family who wants to take his family. He doesn't want to fly, drive my family across country. He wants the experience, right? Yeah, for an experience. Yeah. And we're going to go to this theme park. It's a parallel for Disney World. They just didn't it use is, Disney World. Right. The Wally World, right, of course, right, right. in every way. And everything that could go wrong probably does, but he so tries so hard to put spins on it. He tries so hard to go, well, we're having a good time, right? But it's going good. But we're, we're, we're bonding with the kids. But deep down, he knows this is a train wreck at every step of the way but he's keeping a good face on it and he's trying so hard though oh yeah it's like ridiculous (laughs) and the character is genuine in his desire to provide a good vacation for his family it's not uh oh i have to do this for my kids like i would say it's literally (laughs) (laughs) genetically i'm required to do this (laughs) he actually likes his kids he actually likes his family and is trying to spend time with them I mean, okay, I'm teasing. George is an awesome father. I'm just teasing, just teasing. But Griswold, the whole family, the father, the mother. Now, the kids, oddly enough, are more like what regular normal people outside of films are. Like the kids are like fed up with their parents. They don't want to be around each other. This road trip gets on their nerves from the very first scene when the parents are singing in the car as opposed to using the radio. (laughs) Right. I mean, it's such (laughs) classic tropes that are done perfect in this film. I mean, I it's a beautiful film. Every part of it's beautiful. I must take just a moment here to respect the glory and grandeur that is the Wagon Queen family truckster. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> the stupidest looking. It must have had like 10 headlights and the weird side, the, the wood grain on the side that didn't quite match up and fit, and the giant crown on the quarter right. panel. And wasn't Ridiculous the car salesman car. your guy? Wasn't that Eugene Levy? Eugene Levy, absolutely. Right? Yeah. yeah, Eugene Levy showed up as the car salesman. You don't have to take my word for it. 
forward, but this is really the car that you want to be in if you're going across country. <laughs> <laughs> oh. yeah. uh, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. Where's his car? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then they see later it's being crushed and like, yeah, yeah you're not yeah, getting that car yeah. back. You're not getting it back. And what about the whole like Christy Brinkley just sort of. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> The girl in the Ferrari. Oh, hot mama in the pool. Yes. (laughs) And that's what I love about John Hughes films. This was a series, right? We're going to talk about European vacation in this segment as well. Yeah. But later on, there's a film Vegas Vacation where they all go out to Vegas. Mm -hmm. And Christy Brinkley reprises that same role when you're going to visit Cousin Eddie out in the middle of the desert. But now she's got a baby and her license plate (laughs) says hot mama. (laughs) (laughs) I love that about John Hughes films. I can't be the only one that was distracted whenever there was a shot of the kids in the back seat of the family truckster there was a coleco pac-man sitting on the rear deck and I, it kept catching my eye yep. you, you don't see that yeah no no yeah and i'm like oh i want to play that i want to play that show them playing and they that never game. touch it it's always nope. just back there they never use it they're just listening to their headphones their walkmans and whatnot which another great 80s tech kick of course yeah, yeah. yeah. great stuff. there's another great example of how they they flesh out unnecessary characters when they go and meet up with Edna, who ends up tagging along with them and the entire family that they stop and visit, right? Where, where Edna's there. Oh. And each of them is weirder than the last. Oh, and yeah. there was a line. I was taking a drink. I was oh, taking no. a drink when the girl of the seesaw, oh, they're talking. I French kiss. Yeah. But daddy says I'm the best at it. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh my Lord. <laughs> and the, the other girl's reaction. though was just like, and she's like, just, oh, Swinging, just- <laughs> and there's so many great parallels in that. So that's Uncle Eddie and Cousin Vicky, Uncle Eddie. right? Right, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And yeah, then yeah. that <laughs> actress who plays Cousin Vicky, that's the lady who ends up in 30 Rock later on, the blonde-headed girl from 30 Rock. That's the same actress. Really? Is it? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Is there a start? Jordan, you know all of these connections, but you must be, I, I, I know you're good at Seven Degrees of Kevin Bacon or Six well, Degrees. yeah, I mean, remember back in the Star Trek Club, we used to you're do so good that at, game yeah. at convention, so I Whew. have all this trivia stuck in my head from films of that era. <laughs> I mean, another great one that was in this, and maybe because, Mo, you mentioned it's a Harold Ramis direct film, Mm -hmm. Uh, Brian Doyle Murray. He's the guy who is like running those cabin hotels that they go to stay in in Arizona. Bill Murray's brother. Yeah, he's the one that's renting out the cabins and everything. And just little characters like that throughout the film. You know, they get to Wally World finally and, you know, they break in and the security guards that they lay down on the ground and they make one get on the rides (laughs) with them. Poor John Candy. (laughs) John Candy. But he had a great time. He's like, I I didn't barf even once. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, of course, with every National Lampoon vacation film, the one big trope of those films is at some point, Chevy Chase's character has to flip. Yeah, has he a has to lose just his to, shit. Just loses shit. Yeah. And in this case, it's when the grandmother or aunt, whatever she is, she dies. And, uh, yeah. And they're trying to figure out what to do with her. And they strap her to the fucking roof. They just sort of sheet over her. <laughs> Driving her through a rainstorm and drop her off on the front steps of the mortuary, whatever that was. Yeah. We can't leave her on the patio in the rain. She can't catch cold. <laughs> and he's like, 
We're going to have fun on this trip no matter what. We're going to be singing zippity doo dah out of our assholes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the way the terror on his family when they're looking at him like, oh. Like, Dad lost <laughs> it. And Dad everybody in a real family trip knows there's a point in that family trip where Dad's going to fucking lose it every time. And you just keep quiet and hope he doesn't notice you. <laughs> <laughs> I, feel, I feel like we're having too much fun here. So I, I, let's bring us down a bit. Can, can we segue into the sequel, the oh, 1985? You just did. <laughs> Bringing us oh. down. European vacation? Now I'm down. The exact opposite feeling. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Of what? National Lampoon vacation, yeah. Oh. So... I had never watched European Vacation. Watch Vacation Plenty. Can one of you tell me what the hell happened here? You have the same creators, many of the same creators, mm -hmm. much of the same talent, the same premise. What the hell went wrong? I don't know is the honest answer. I mean, truthfully, they did things that, throughout all the film series that worked in every other film except for this one. You're going to have different actors playing the kids. Right. That yep, becomes yep. a joke and a trope throughout all the Vacation films. Sure. You're going right. to have the trip that's going to go crazy haywire. You're going to have dad flipping his nut and losing his shit. For sure. This film was fucking awful. Yeah. It's bad. Like, yeah. if I, this one has a good score on Rotten Tomatoes, I would have the same reaction as Dutch having a bad score on Rotten Tomatoes. Like, what's this wrong with terrible. you? Yeah. Well, I, I started noticing at the very beginning, it felt like a string of mediocre Saturday Night Live sketches. Like, mm. let's do the sketch further on the game show. Let's right. do the sketch where he's simulating the sound of music. Let's do the sketch. Yeah. And it, rather than this, this cohesive story that I care about, now it did, it did break away from that a little later. They had to set up how he they won the trip and whatever I guess but assuming not everybody has seen it the whole premise the same family the Griswolds <laughs> they go on a game show they win they win a European vacation to go all around you know London and France and everything and shenanigans ensue as you might imagine right. but right but getting back to the problem for me was the same characters I didn't care about them the second time around right it didn't have the heart yeah it did not you're right exactly Mo and you would think uh -huh. that this would have been all about heart because you've got John Hughes writing it who is the king of that yeah. Sure. And you have Amy Heckerling directing it. I mean, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Jesus Christ. Is that, okay, what else is she? Is she in? Yeah, Fast, Fast Times at okay. Ridgemont High huh. is one of her big ones. Um, Clueless, the film in the 90s oh. with, I mean, that's Amy Heckerling. She's a goddess when it comes to directing in the 80s and 90s. The two of them together, that should have been instant success. And I guarantee yeah, yeah. you the studio thought that. And I'm sure, Mo, I haven't looked at the stats. Maybe if you have, uh, this didn't make shit at the box office, I hope. It actually <laughs> didn't do awful. Really? Because, well, it was carrying the coattails of the original movie. Oh, uh, right? yeah. It was only a couple of years later. Yeah. You right. got to imagine, not knowing how bad this film is, do you want to see more vacation? Of course you do. Mm, so right. you go to the theater. Yeah. And, and before you find out, before there was an internet to tell you it was shitty, you're right. like, oh no, I've seen it. Darn it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like the critics totally panned it. They, they, and they should. All hated Good. It. Yeah. It did okay. Like I said, opening weekend, it did really well. It did better than vacation opening weekend, actually. From the success of vacation. From the success yeah. of vacation, sense. right? Everyone yeah. started seeing it. But the critical consensus, according to Wikipedia, it says European vacation charts a course through a succession of pretty destinations, but the journey itself lacks the laughs that made the original outing so memorable. Mm. Bingo. Yep. <laughs> yep. And I'm like, yeah. The critics got it right this time. I'll yeah, say. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's almost like Hughes had already done the work in the first one. He'd introduced the characters. 
He peeled them back and looked at the layers. And so now it was way more slapstick. I was so uncomfortable with scenes where Chevy Chase is getting luggage out of the car and beating the shit out of the bellhop. Right. Yeah. That once, like one nut shot. Okay, haha. But it kept going. It kept going. Like, this is just slapstick garbage. What are you doing? It was like this crazy, exaggerated version of playing a joke off from the original film where he would always have trouble with the luggage, right? Sure. I mean, of he course. tied the dog to the bumper that got drugged down the road. Little Mutt tried to keep up and everything. <laughs> that was funny. But then in this, they just kept beating you over the head with the same thing over and over again. Yeah. There's a money Python actor in this film eric idol is in this eric idol who is awesome and they fucked him royally Garbage. with these Garbage. lines and, and his character like yep. popping up throughout the film getting run over by the griswolds i mean i did love his holy grail reference where he said it's yeah, just a flesh wound just thank you for that wound. eric right, idol yeah. i appreciate you there you know they yeah, didn't write that it. that was him oh right? yeah yeah he said we're throwing that in of course yeah i gotta save this somehow this one also luckily same era had a lot of those i spotted cool actors that i wasn't expecting to see First and foremost, at the beginning, John Aston. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was right. the host of the the game show, and he was basically what's the guy on Family Feud who was always going kissing Richard every woman that was there. Richard yeah. Dawson. He was like tongue was kissing the-, the daughter. It was super <laughs> uncomfortable. What's Grab wrong with ass you? Ass in the final scene. Through the- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then our man from Cobra Kai, William Zabka played yes. the boyfriend yeah absolutely very briefly at the beginning but man you see his picture all through the film posters on the wall up in the hotel well and it's his <laughs> voice on the phone calls which i thought was fun the, that yep, they actually right, barely indeed. allowed you to hear that i thought that was nice yeah oh i miss him was it jack oh i miss jack yeah. oh i miss jack and then they're at the sausage place <laughs> and there's a big plate of sausage <laughs> oh i miss jack right. <laughs> when they're with the german family that's not their family the wrong family who the hell was that that scene is one of the scenes that highlighted for me how poor this film was set up. So they go to the door. They know it's door number six because they kept seeing sex. That's what it is in German. Blah, blah, blah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. go to number 14. And he knocks on. He says, I'm looking for sex. Ah, slams the door. <laughs> Stupid Pratt line. I hated that. Yep. But then it is so fucking obvious that they have covered up the one on the six on the door next to it. Yeah. And what did they do to prove that to the audience as though the audience is so fucking stupid? They couldn't have got that. Yeah. They well, we have zoom to move the, in out of the way and they have like a little hand move the plant out of the way just so you could see the one. Da, da, da. Yeah. Fuck off. Really? It's disrespectful to the audience. Like it we was. don't get your joke. First of all, if you need that to sell your joke, write a better joke. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They say yeah. jokes are always funnier when you explain them, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly right. Guaranteed. <laughs> That's a truth. No, no, universe wide. I mean, there were some other spotteds in this as well. Robbie Coltrane was the other one that I really noticed. I don't mm. know if you guys who is know that. Who, who am I That's thinking Hagrid of? from the Harry Potter films. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. He was the bathroom guest that wanted to jump in the bathtub with Beverly D'Angelo after Chevy Chase was had left. Was that him? That's oh Robbie God. Coltrane. I didn't realize <laughs> yeah. that. Oh, good. <laughs> There's some cute little cameos, like you said, John, actors of that era trying to make it which is neat the thing that really i started to notice that put me off how many fucking speed montage scenes are you going to put in one fucking move they're walking through the art museum and they're going through this and then they're going through this other place and they're going through and it's all these little speed montages with music and the little true fast paced thing with them in the focus of the camera i don't think those work well in a comedy film they they don't make sense to me they don't tell 
or progress the story at if all. If you use one to seal a punchline, that's okay, one thing. Okay, fine. Right? Yeah. yeah, of course. It's it's almost like you're. this was the era, this 83, we're getting into the MTV era. Are we trying to be a music video at this right. point? Maybe that's what's happening. It almost seems like they got bad advice from what was happening in pop culture and they, they leaned in the wrong direction here. Yeah, yeah it was, sure. it was oh. really terrible. John, you mentioned about the different sketches throughout the film. Mm-hmm. What yeah. the fuck was up with a thief at the end of this thing? Yeah, what was How it? did that I, become a major plot I, I, point? I, Where did that come I, from? Yeah, exactly. It's like, I'm like, left field, here we go. Like, what the yeah. hell is this? And what does that have to do with anything? Having watched this just recently, preparing for this, when I got to that part, I was a little confused because I wasn't paying really close attention to under, because I was I was unengaged. The film wasn't really keeping me my attention. And I'm like, wait, what's up with the criminals? Why did they kidnap the wife? And I'm like, you know what? I really don't care. I'm not going to rewind mm-hmm. to find out. It's not that big of a deal to me. <laughs> right. I mean, it's if you're going to be an anthology story where it's like a whole bunch of stories inside of one film, like a Twilight Zone or something something like that, then separate that out and do it. Don't make it all the same through line. And they did it horribly. It was terrible. I hate that we're ending the podcast with this. Yeah, film. I know. I see the same thing. I was like, <laughs> oh, why? We should have reversed these out, you know? But right? how do you? Because yeah, this is the sequel, you know? Yeah. And I mean, well, I, I think we did a good job of foaming the runway for this rough landing, right? So <laughs> right. <laughs> we started with these three great films and then we came in rough for a Navy landing on this one. I mean, maybe we could have thrown Vegas Vacation in as a buffer at the end because that was <laughs> yeah. moderately a travel film but maybe yeah yeah but it doesn't tarnish the john hughes legacy it's just one of those you can't have winners every single time at bat right he was just a screenplay uh, writer here but even so eh, yeah. you, you, gotta, you gotta take ownership buddy yeah <laughs> <laughs> this summer when you think vacation think national lampoon's vacation see the real america It's friendly. I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> it's educational. Great. And most of all, it's fun. <laughs> Let Chevy Chase, Beverly D'Angelo, Imogene Coca, Randy Quay, John Candy, and Christy Brinkley. Well, are you going to go for it? If there was anything in this show you'd like to learn more about, the show notes which accompany each episode are full of links to click and explore. Catch up on past episodes and get pinged every time a new one's released by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. And you know, iTunes reviews help more than you know. So if you haven't yet, please rate and review us in the iTunes app. And if you have a friend who isn't yet listening, why not? Tell them about us. They'll thank you later. You're our fourth listener, and we'd love to read your emails right here on the show. So hit us up at podcast at genxgrownup.com. And finally, Gen X Grown Up is more than just this podcast. Our YouTube channel has hundreds of videos ready for you to enjoy. Plus, you can find our entire body of work on genxgrownup.com. Oh, John Hughes, we have barely, barely scratched the surface of your body of work. <laughs> we mentioned at the top, if you like this John Hughes episode, uh, write to us at podcast at genxgrownup.com and tell us which mm-hmm. of these categories of Hughes films you'd like to hear us uh, kind of check out next. We have several. We have with the, the angsty teens and we have the kids and the precocious kids and whatever. If, if you're, you can think of a grouping you're interested in, uh, I think there's plenty more John Hughes and he deserves more of our love. So write in and let us know what you'd like to hear us highlight next time. Sure thing. Before we wrap it up, we always like to take just a second here right at the end to give our gratitude to our benefactors, the folks that take a few bucks out of their wallet every single month to support what we do here on the podcast over on YouTube and the website. Whether it's a Patreon or a YouTube member, I want to thank each and every one of you individually. So thanks to you. 
Dan Sparks, Two Monkey, Jonathan H, Uno, Clay, Sean, Matt, Levi, Tony G, Travis, Blaster, Stasha, Greg L, Shelby, David, Mike C, Chet, Greg Z, Lee, Slobo, Chad, Chris, Butterspider, Thomas, <laughs> Tony R, Davis, Dana, Ben, Marcus, Agile, Mark, Karen, Stubaka, Aaron, Thanos, Arlem, Jason, Miss So, Marcus, Aaron, Mike B, Stubaka, Mike M, Mike C, Thanos, Blaster, Stasha, and Miss So. Oh, that amazing growing list. Thanks each and every one of you. Of course, if you are interested in joining this roster of fantastic human beings, George, would you tell the fourth listeners how they can get that done? Absolutely. All you have to do is head over to patreon.com slash genxrunup or genxcrut.com slash patreon. You go over, you create one of those free accounts, then you decide which pledge level you'd like to support us with. $1, $2, $3. We love you as much all the time. When you start getting into those $3 levels and above, you start getting some extra behind the scenes footage. You get some swag on some of the upper levels. There's even an influencer level that's way up there at like $25 per month or something that we have a couple of people supporting us on that. You get extra influence on helping us to decide what we do with the podcast and mm-hmm. YouTube videos. We appreciate it so much. If you're not interested in going that route, we do also have YouTube memberships available. You go to any video on our YouTube channel. You click that button. It's right next to the subscribe button. There's a join one right there. $2.99 per month. You get all kinds of cool icons right next to your name that change with every month that you support mm-hmm. us. You get extra emojis that you get to use in our live instant game night replay things, whatever the hell we're going to do. <laughs> that you get to pop into the chat. We definitely call attention to those people whenever they write out comments in the live streams. We appreciate you so much. Thank you guys so much for adding that fuel to our tank every single month. Well said. Thank you so much to you two for listening. That is going to wrap it up for this backtrack. We'll be back in two weeks though with another one. Don't worry. And next week is our regular edition of our show. Until then, I am John. George, thank you so much for being here. Yes, sir. Mo, you know I appreciate you. Oh, man, always fun. And fourth listener, it's you we appreciate most of all, though. And we will talk to you next time. Bye-bye. See you guys. Take care, everybody. GenX Grown Up is a member of the Evergreen Podcast family. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. Unacceptable for grown-ups. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a grown-up. We have picked them, we have prepared for them, and we're going to jump into those right after the break. feel like maybe you should edit out, we have prepared for them. Because I don't yeah. know how prepared oh, we okay. are. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll decide after we get finished recording whether that should come out or stay in. <laughs> Next time. Bye-bye. See you guys. Take care, everybody. See, I remembered this time. Yeah, you exactly. did. You did. <laughs> he follows the script. He's like, it, things is right. normally. It's like, I'm not going to be a blooper two weeks in a row. <laughs> What was it like to be there for historical sports moments and unforgettable performances? To be behind the scenes? On PressBox Access, you'll hear from me, Todd Jones, and other sports writers about their experiences with the greatest athletes, coaches, and sports events of the past half century. We'll share some stories behind the stories, some big, some small, and some we've only told each other. Let us buy you around on PressBox Access.